Detta är er en podcast från Dagens Näringsliv. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hvordan kan vi sikre at varslerne tør å stå frem? I dagens episode av Finansredaktionen får vi høre den spektakulære historien om Bradley Birkenfeldt, mannen som slog hull på den sveitsiske banksekretessen og blev belønnet med to år i fengsel. Jeg heter Marte Ramus Eriksen og er journalist i Dagens Næringsliv. Med mig i dag har jeg Bradley Birkenfeldt og også Jøran Skåmo, journalist i Dagens Næringslivs lørdagsmagasin. Ja, yeah. well, Bradley Birkenfeldt, welcome so much to our show. Thank you for having me. So... Let's hear your story. Well, I was very fortunate. Uh, I met uh, Mr. Scalmo down in Miami, and he uh, wanted to report on my story here in Norway. So that was uh, something that was very special for me, and that's why I'm here today. But um, my story starts in Switzerland, where I was working as a director at UBS, the largest bank in the world. And we were managing money for offshore clients, meaning they weren't paying taxes on that money. No inheritance tax, no income tax, no capital gains tax. So the bank was having a lot of uh, people like myself go from Geneva, Lugano, and Zurich over to America to see existing clients as well as prospective clients to bring more money and to make investments. So it's pretty straightforward. The problem was was that it was legal in Switzerland, but when you went across over to another country like America, you're not registered to sell investment products. You have to be licensed. And most countries have those laws, which are good laws, that you can't do certain things if you do not have a proper license. So this was the typical age-old Swiss bank secrecy. We'll hide your money. No one will talk. And everybody goes home happy. So over time, what happened was I started feeling uncomfortable the way the bank was acting. And the bank was telling us to bring encrypted laptops to the U.S. I said, I won't do that. And they were doing a lot of sort of uh, dodgy acts of how to conceal their identities and lie on immigration forms, say you're there on vacation, not on business. And this was very, very dangerous because you could see the underlying truth was this is wrong. So one day a colleague brought a three-page document to my attention And that was on our intranet. And as you know, the intranet at UBS is massive. It's got so many documents. But this document in particular didn't have the logo of the bank on it. And the three-page document had to be written by somebody, had to be authorized to put on the intranet, but we were never trained on it and we were never told about it. So those are very dangerous um, scenarios because at that point you begin to realize why are they not being upfront with their own people, their own employees? So this document in essence contradicted everything they told us to do. Go to the U.S. every quarter and spend two weeks and see clients, get more money, make investments, open accounts, and so on and so forth. So this three-page document contradicted all of that. It basically told you that what you were doing was illegal. Exactly. Meaning if you got caught, you'd say, well, you didn't read the three-page document. So 
as we say in English, it's a CYA, cover your ass for the bank, but not for the bankers, the clients, or the shareholders. I mean, think about that. The shareholders, if they knew this was going on, that they were putting money into an investment, into UBS shares, and they were doing illegal acts on a global basis? So this is very, very troubling. So I brought it to the attention of my legal department and compliance department after my boss, who shunned me, and I documented everything. I put it in emails, inner office mails, which I have to this day, and I'll be releasing those at some point, and they never answered me. First month, second month, third month, no answer. But give us a broad idea um, of the business in this, because how, how much money uh, did you have from U.S. clients, and how, how much did the bank earn on, on holding this illegal money? Well, this is a great question. Uh, generally speaking, the, the numbers that I gave over to the U.S. government were 19,000 clients and $20 billion in assets. I mean, this is a massive amount of money. Now, this is one bank, UBS, in one country, United States. So it just gives you an idea that in Switzerland, there were about 125 banks. So this is the biggest, biggest one, obviously. But that, those numbers were quite uh, compelling. But on top of it, they made about $200 million a year in profit. So no matter what business you're in, $200 million is $200 million. And when you combine that with a lot of the other businesses that we didn't know about where clients had maybe trusts and foundations and, and um, safe deposit boxes, where monies were deposited there at the bank, that the number could be much higher than the $20 billion I'm talking about. Then, of course, you have um, other assets such as yachts, jets, paintings, chalets, all kinds of things that could be your asset, but you don't see it, quote unquote, on the balance sheet in a bank account. And how were your um, messages received by the, the bank uh when just you, just yeah. uh, one thing. When was this? Can you, which year was that? Yes, I started my whistleblowing within the bank <clears throat> in 2005, March okay. of 2005. And I reported to uh, UBS Legal and UBS Compliance in um, June, July, and August of 2005. And I resigned in October, the first week in October 2005. Okay, just to give our listeners a view on, on when this happened. So, Yaran, mm. your question again. And how did the management of UBS receive your uh, message? Well, they, they, they shunned me at first. So my initial um, confrontation with my boss was almost the fisticuffs. And uh, as I write in my book, Lucifer's Banker, and my website, lucifersbanker.com, people could see an incredible, compelling story of one courageous whistleblower exposing the largest tax fraud in the world. But they didn't want to talk about it because uh, the truth hurts. And they were hiding it for so long. And this is something that they buried. Why did you uh, decide to take this to the U.S. government? It's a great question because when I was as a director of the bank, I was obligated. It was my, my responsibility to bring it to the attention of legal and compliance. If you have a question, you bring it to them. And I, was, I had a $10 million signature power at the bank. I managed about $500 million, and I needed to do this. So when the bank covered it up, I resigned, and then I sent it to the board of directors of UBS and – used their own whistleblowing policies and said, look, I'm going to be a whistleblower internally. And then when they covered that up, I, um, I decided to go to the United States government because I felt as though nobody was going to pay attention in Switzerland, so I had to go to a government um, agency. And unfortunately, the Department of Justice was the wrong place to go in America. 
But I did go to the Internal Revenue Service, the IRS, the Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC, and the U.S. Senate. So I made sure so many people knew about my story so no one could cover it up like UBS covered it up in Switzerland. So what happened? How did they welcome you? Well, the DOJ was hostile because remember, in for your listeners, um, the American political machine is all about taking credit. Who can get the credit? And people will fight and argue over that in, in so many ways. So the other problem was the Department of Justice was protecting their rich and powerful friends, billionaires, CEOs, judges. Your clients in Sweden, some of them. Uh, some of these were clients in Switzerland. That's mm. correct. Yeah. Oh, yeah. CIA was laundering money. Um, and, and people might say, well, how can you make such a bold statement? And well, again, if you look at my book, you'll see one gentleman that I exposed who was doing illegal oil sales with Saddam Hussein. And I know it because it was my boss's client. But go back a few years and think about Iran-Contra, where they were using secret Swiss accounts to do the Iran-Contra scandal. So... Anyways, what happened here was it was such a, a, a problem because it was all this illegal activity going on within the bank, not just tax evasion, but insider trading, extortion, bribery, drugs, prostitution, guns. I mean, it could be any number of these things that are going on. If you don't have accountability and transparency, you have secrecy. You don't know what's going on. So what happened in the U.S.? Well, they were attacking me, the DOJ, and they indicted me the only person to be indicted. And if people think, and this was 2008 at that time, if people think back to the financial crisis, which was very damaging, not only to ordinary citizens, not just in the US, but around the world, but also to um, banks and so forth that were part of this problem. Anyways, I was the only banker to go to jail during the whole financial crisis. The only one out of all this going on, I was the one who came forward I was the whistleblower. I'm the one who exposed the largest and longest running tax fraud in the world, and they attacked me. So nobody wanted to talk about it, even though they had to, because they were all part of it. Democrats and Republicans were all part of this, people hiding monies there. And I think you'll begin to realize that when you have 19,000 accounts, $20 billion, that's a lot of influence. And that's money outside the US. Think about what money those people had in the US. Because you have you have actually pointed to a lot of different connections between higher office in the U.S., the president's office, and the UBS. Well, that's exactly right. The president of the United States was on a committee investigating um, UBS because of me. I went to the U.S. Senate Permanent Subcommittee on Investigations. And again, your listeners can go to my website, luciferismanker.com, and see the reports, three, 400-page reports. And Senator Obama was an active member on that committee, but he didn't show up for one meeting, not one hearing, investigating the criminal conduct of UBS. But at the same time he was running for president, was taking millions of dollars from UBS for his campaign. And that's, that's an impeachable offense. He's violated his oath to the Constitution. So that's quite bad. Eric Holder, the attorney general appointed by Obama, was his largest client at the law firm of Covington and Burling in Washington, D.C., was UBS. Hillary Clinton, who was the Secretary of State, had secret meetings with the U.S. and Switzerland. And Afton Poston actually exposed the WikiLeaks CIA cable, which is on my website. They had a political solution to settle the UBS case. In essence, you're cheating 300 million Americans because you're doing a secret deal. So it's really – it's quite, it's quite uh, troubling to see that 
the government officials, the Secretary of State, the Attorney General, the President of the United States, were all complicit in the largest tax fraud, and you have 300 million victims. And as we wrote actually in Douglas Nicely in the story about you, uh, the day you went to prison, Obama was playing golf with the chairman of UBS in the U.S. That's correct. And you, you did some very good investigative reporting on that. And that's not a coincidence. And that's um, the president appointed the chairman of UBS Americas, Robert Wolf, to two presidential uh, committees in the White House. He was a frequent guest at the White House. So for your listeners, once again, it's important for them to understand this show the corruption goes all the way to the president of the United States. This is how deep it runs. And I think people need to understand that. And again, it's not just Democrats. It's Republicans and Democrats. And this is so blatant, though. It's really quite, uh, it's quite sad. But also here in Norway, uh, scandals involving corruption and also uh, tax evasion also have links to, to Swiss banks often. And how do you, how would you go ahead to fix the problem? Because it's One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for fifteen dollars a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential plan on us. Mintmobile. slash switch. Upfront payment of forty five dollars, equivalent to fifteen dollars per month, unlimited over forty gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at four eighty p. Active Mint customers by five thirty one twenty four get six months of Paramount Plus Essential plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May thirty first, twenty twenty four. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply. If rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. Seems so uh, hard to uh, fix. Well, I think the first thing is is, is um, the law enforcement here in Norway, and I'm happy to work with them and po- politicians here, is to say, look, you, you no longer will accept this idea that Switzerland will not share information and work with you. You're tired of it, and you don't want uh, your taxpayers being cheated and the system being cheated. So you're going to demand this. The second thing you could do is boycott the banks in Switzerland outright. Just boycott them. Now, you may say you don't want to get in a trade war. I say, well, no, you can because you're not going to tolerate it anymore. And if you get other countries to get involved, they'll start to change their tune. The third thing you could do is work with other governments who have gotten information. And, and then, of course, whistleblowers like myself. You need to pass positive laws that protect whistleblowers and also compensate them to come forward because they're taking a tremendous risk, a financial risk, a family risk, a reputational risk, an emotional risk. And if you don't put those in place, what's the incentive for a good whistleblower on the inside to come forward to expose it? And this is exactly the point here. You could really eradicate this cancer by having strong whistleblowing laws here in Norway. And I'm happy, again, to work with your uh, politicians to help them and advise them. We'll talk about that a little bit later. I just wanted to run through your story to the end because you had to go to jail for two years. Um, on what grounds? Can you say something about that? Certainly. Uh, actually, it was two and a half years. It okay. was 30 months. Um, and I was the only one to go to jail, as I said. 
And the problem with that was it was a camp. It's called a camp. There was no prison cell or fence or anything like this. But it was two and a half years, and the taxpayers paid for it. So it's quite ironic. The taxpayers paid to put the guy who exposed the largest tax fraud. And in there, I saw a lot of things in prison that were troubling. You saw a lot of people who were uh, falsely prosecuted and so forth. So it gave me another uh, vision of the way in which the corruption in America is. But I had hired the best attorney who rewrote the whistleblowing law in the Senate Finance Committee in, in Congress. His name is Dean Zerby. And Dean Zerby uh, said that uh, unfortunately for them, they don't want to do it, but they have to because it's the law. The law stated it's mandatory to pay 15 to 30 percent of what the government collects. Now, this is very important for Norwegians because what it says is it sends a message that there's a portion of the crime that gets exposed and recovered, it's not taxpayer money, it's money that was never there to begin with. And that money gets paid to the whistleblower. So it's a 15 to 30% um, window. And I got paid 26% and I got a $104 million award, which was the largest award in history. So when did you get that? When you came out of prison or what? Uh, it was actually uh, two weeks right when I got out of prison. They gave me a check and my attorneys brought it to my uh, my door. And it's actually the bookmark in my book, uh, laminated for uh, certain people I see. I, I gave it to them free as a bookmark. And uh, it was a U.S. Treasury check for $75 million. I had to pay taxes on the 104. So <laughs> once again, taxes pop up. So, um, But it's, it's caused a furor in the offshore world. It's a trillion-dollar industry. I've... Uh, I've technically transformed a trillion-dollar industry, and I've assisted foreign governments. I've testified in France. Uh, UBS is going to trial in France, which will be a, a damning um, trial. Um, a lot of documents I gave and testimony. And I think the problem here is, is that we have to bring all these European countries together to work together as one, one voice, one mind, and make sure that they put an end to this nefarious business, which they've been playing for so long, and to the expense of every taxpayer in Norway. So you got 104 million uh, for for whistleblowing about UBS, um, but you also told us that it was quite a bit of a hard time when you tried to 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 tell about this. Do you th- do you feel that there's a connection? I mean, the the trouble you had with the whistleblowing and the the money you got is that equal? Would you say? Well, you know, it, it, a lot of people will equate the two, and I think it's hard to do that because I started whistleblowing before the law was in place. Again, I started whistleblowing internally at UBS as a director in March 2005, and the whistleblowing law in the United States was not passed until December 2006, which I really had no, I had no knowledge of whatsoever. So the fact that I was whistleblowing before the law shows I wasn't going after the money. I was trying to do the right thing, which most whistleblowers do. And again, if you had proper protections in place, it would have been important. Certainly the compensation was there, but I didn't know that until long down the road after I had resigned from the bank and whistleblown internally and gone to the U.S. government. And then it was brought to my attention. But, you know, the train had left the station by that point. So I think it's important to keep that in mind. So if you look past the the compensation you got, but your story of whistleblowing, would you do it again? Yes, I would. I'd do it immediately. And I think I would, I'd do it a little bit differently. But yes, I would. And I think the problem we have is is that, again, whistleblowers are generally um, maligned and, and mistreated. And I think that's wrong. And they're an extension of law enforcement. And I think it's important for people to understand that we want to have a better society. And whistleblowers are a part of that to expose waste, fraud, and corruption in our society. 
And and here in Norway, we have this debate about the whistleblowers going on for years, and we have this all these stories about whistleblowers being treated badly. Um, how how do you think that we can uh, repair this? How can we make more whistleblowers come forward? This is a paramount question, and I think it's important uh, for someone like myself who has done such uh, wonderful work to bring monies back to the taxpayers and the Treasury Department in the United States, but also foreign governments. Is That's why I'm here in Oslo uh, for a conference here uh, that DN is sponsoring, and I think it's important to educate people, number one. I think it's important to get their feedback so they understand exactly what's going on in this industry of whistleblowing. But more importantly, we need to sit down with the politicians, maybe get some um, uh, lawyers as well, uh, bankers, accountants, and so forth around the table. It doesn't have to be big, but just have an open conversation with respect to we must, not we, we want to, we must change the laws in Norway to say what can we implement as the first step law to protect whistleblowers and get the message to every Norwegian citizen across the country, around the world. So they understand that this is the right thing to do. Your government's behind you. It's good for the taxpayers. It's good for society. It's bad for the criminals. It's also about a, cult, about a cultural thing, isn't it? I mean, before you get the protection from the law, you need to tell people within your own company. And that's the, well, that's the hard part history has shown us. Well, it's a good question. And in Switzerland, as an example, exactly, they passed laws they were going to that said you must go to the uh, management first. Well, that's like saying, geez, I'm going to go tell the bank robber uh, before he robs the bank. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. They know what they're doing. I mean, they can't, you know, claim ignorance. Um, so there is some of these components that need to be worked out, and, and they can be done logically and, and rationally. But the point is this, is that first and foremost, you should first recognize whistleblowers. That's number one. Number two, put a law in place that protects them. Number three, compensate them. In between, you could start massaging the law and see how it works best for, say, Norway or any other country for that matter. But it's important to understand if you don't have it, you don't have transparency and accountability. And in society, if we're a civilized society, which Norway is, why wouldn't you want this? Why wouldn't you pursue this? Why wouldn't you demand this? As, as a taxpayer, as a citizen, you'd say, I want a better society for my family and for my children and my grandchildren. And, and Norway wants it because that will be the next generation here for Norwegians, a better place to live. So why is compensation so important? Well, remember, a, a whistleblower takes tremendous risks. They risk their um, financial future. They have big legal costs, of course, because you need lawyers to represent you. You have reputational risk, emotional uh, damages, uh, monetary damages. And the, the, the whole scheme could work out very well. In, for instance, I talked to the assistant justice minister here last time I was here, and I said, you have um, a system of health care that's probably state-of-the-art in the world. And you have an education system, which is the same, state-of-the-art. So those work very well. Why couldn't you have a whistleblower in a world where a portion goes to the whistleblower, the large portion goes to the government, and then a portion of what the government gets goes into another fund, like a health care fund, an education fund? That helps to pay people who come in and report non-financial crimes, such as teachers hitting kids or something along those lines, as an example. That way, you have financial whistleblowing, which gets compensated, which funds the fund, the government gets the money back, you have eradicated the crime or the corruption, and you've established a fund that helps other whistleblowers to come forward and get paid so they know that they're going to be compensated because nobody's going to hire a whistleblower after they do something like that. 
Yeah, that's the thing. Before we got the get the new laws that you suggest here, we still have this uh, the system, this culture here in Norway. So, what is your advice to to people or our listeners, some listeners who want to whistleblow or feel the need to whistleblow? Well, they should certainly try to contact me, and um, I'm certainly uh, happy to help them uh, in confidence. And um, and Garn has been very helpful to uh, you know get my message out through the Norwegian newspaper here. And people understand that it's a very um, epic story. And I think it's important for people to say, who would you trust? Now, certainly you have a lawyer, but you'd want to trust someone who's already been through it. I've been through it. I've seen it. I've seen it with the largest bank in the world, UBS. I've seen it with the largest government in the world, the Department of Justice. I got the largest payout in the world. So I certainly know the ropes around this, and I'm happy to help others because I know what they go through. It's it's very uh, tr- stressful and um, it's tedious, and I think a lot of people can't handle that. They get emotionally depressed. Some people commit suicide. Uh, sometimes they get intimidated and harassed, obviously fired from their job. So it's important for people to know that if they want to come forward, and and certainly if there's a U.S. Uh, connection to any of these crimes, um, <coughs> to file a whistleblowing claim in the United States, and I can help them do that as well. <laughs> Great tip. So uh, last here, you got $104 million. What did you? How did you spend your money? Where did you place them? Well, when I first got the money, I had to pay tax on that money, so I paid my tax bill. So um, I did that properly. But um, I also um, um, bought a couple of cars and some artwork, and uh, I'm a big hockey fan, ice hockey fan. So I, my team from America's the Boston Bruins, I'm a big collector of their, their old sweaters back to their um, – original days. So artwork and sports, and I also help um, whistleblowers. I give them money to help them in their fight against uh, waste, fraud, and corruption. And I've published my book, Lucifer's Banker. Um, I self-published it, so I paid for that. And I set up a website to complement that called lucifersbanker.com. And I'm launching my German version of the book in Berlin on April 6. So it'll come out in German. And I'm quite excited to do that because now going around the world and lecturing and helping people to understand this uh, this big problem is important. It's important for the people, the whistleblowers, and the taxpayers. All right. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for having me. Jeg tror at konklusionen her er at varsling er krevende. Vi har fått noen forslag til hvordan man kan håndtere dette. Vi har som vanlig samlet noen artikler på dn.no, blant annet artikkelen som Jøra han skrev for noen år siden. Teknisk producent i dag har vært Marte Kristensen, og vi høres igen neste uke. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Du har nu hørt en podcast fra Dagens Næringsliv.